Elasticsearch is the most established solution today to search and analyze large volumes of logs. However, it can be costly and complex to manage. QuickWit searches append-only cloud data like logs and ledgers in a fraction of the time and with significantly lower cost than Elasticsearch. In this episode, we interview Paul Massaro, one of the founders of QuickWit and the creator and maintainer of Tantivy, the open-source full-text search engine written in Rust. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jocelyn Byrne-Hool. Check the show notes for more information on Jocelyn's work and where to find her. Hello, I'm really excited to have uh, with us today here on Software Engineering Daily, uh, Paul Messerville, who is the creator of TantiB and founder of QuickWit. Uh, Paul is uh, a French software developer living very far from France uh, for all the right reasons, so he can be a very good spouse. And uh, he spends a lot of time thinking about and working on um, complex search and analytics queries that can work directly on cloud storage, but also have sub-second performance speeds. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit today about QuickWit, a little bit about um, the architectures and creative um, technical decisions he's made to make sure that uh, he has a very competitive product available. And we're going to talk a little bit about his new release uh, that just came out as well. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Justin. Thanks for having me. Let's get started with um, a couple of quick questions around, um, I'd like to just talk a little bit about QuickWit. Um, what, are the, what, what are the challenges today for existing search engines? Why can't I just use those uh, to search object stores very, very quickly? Yeah, so maybe before uh, jumping into this uh, interesting question, we, we need to take a little bit of the main marketing challenge that we have been having. Uh, when we say that we are a search engine, uh, sometimes people project us into the space of search engines that we are not very good at. So we like we there are very different uh, types of search engine. Um, you cannot use QuickWit, for instance, to back an e-commerce uh, website or something like that. We are specialized on a uh, very large amount of append-only data. And if you are not sure about what is append only data, usually it's logs. Uh, so we do basically nothing uh, to try to return uh, the most pertinent, the, 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 most, the, the best possible data. We just try to search into a large amount of data very fast and usually people are okay with sorting by timestamp. That's the problem we are trying to solve. And then uh, there are a lot of challenges associated to this. Usually the main one is evolving around decreasing the cost because uh, even the smallest startup today, if they are a little bit successful, they can end up with terabytes and terabytes of data. And, and, and just being able to search into that, uh, it, it's really hard. And if you just uh, try to brute force your way through this data, you will probably end up with a, a cloud bill uh, that is much higher than what you can afford. So decreasing costs is a, is a first challenge. Uh, and then you have some challenge about uh, reliability and managing your cluster. Uh, so most solutions today, they will, if, if your cluster is a little bit big, you will probably notice that you end up having a team of DevOps and uh, being in charge of the cluster and it really feels like babysitting. I think it's okay if uh, if your search engine is the money maker, like if, if it's the search engine that backs your 
your e-commerce service, that's fine. But if it's for your logs, uh, you really would rather have your team of engineers working on something else. Uh, yeah, and, and, and then there are a bunch of sub-challenges to that. So that would be our goals, uh, diminishing cost and, and, uh, and, and improving the, the manageability of your software. Uh, and, and then there are different challenges associated to it. Uh, should we jump into those or? Yeah, so the three things are specific to append-only data cost containment and cluster management are the areas that you're focused on. What are some of, I just, I haven't talked about this in a while, but append-only data is a particular problem in working, right? And can you talk a little bit about why why it is a particular problem? It's a super interesting question, but a very tough one. So I'll go for the simple answer in our case. Um, so usually when you, uh, the, the way we store our data is uh, we receive the logs and we produce pieces of the index and we upload that to Amazon S3. Uh, and it, 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 it works great. Amazon S3 is really cheap. Uh, it's extremely reliable. You enjoy the 99999 uh, replication and everyone is happy. Uh, the trouble there is, uh, uh, let's say that someone comes and says, oh, I'd like to, to remove uh, all of the documents that contain this token or all of the documents associated to this, this tenant, typically, or this user. Like GDPR is asking us to, to remove all of the data associated to this user. So now, like by design, you have a physical constraint, which is uh, the, those documents are in every single pieces of the index that you produced before. So you're asking to modify a large number of objects, basically. Um, and so that's, that, that's basically the, the crux of the problem. Uh, quick with those under deletes, uh, but only in a very asynchronous way. So what you can do is typically address those GDPR uh, requests, because of course people have those. Uh, but you, you will just uh, put them in the queue and it will be uh, processed maybe once a day. And batching the, the, the queries like this uh, removes the inefficiency because you, you, instead of uh, handling like one request after one other and having to write all of the files n times through the day, you do that only once. Uh, so, it, so it's fine. Okay, so um, I got a little distracted with the append-only data because I, I remember there's a, we had to deal with that in, in my past experience of mine where it gets very difficult to backtrack and make changes. Um, so I, I just appreciate you explaining that a little bit, but let me backtrack a little bit to the higher level where you said, you know, hey, you're focused on uh, append-only data as part of the core uh, architectural decision that you've made of things that you're going to focus on. Uh, you've also said uh, reducing cost and um, making it easier to manage your cluster. Do you want to talk a little bit about how QuickWit addresses each of these buckets? Uh, yes, and, and I, I will also explain what the, the kind of problems that you have. Like there are some super fascinating technical problems associated to this. Uh, so usually in, in the realm uh, where we are working, people have a super large amount of data and they do not search that much. Uh, that was the the joke that you made. I think it's like write write once, read once. Uh, it's it's typically what we observe. Uh, so people can have two hundred terabytes of data, and it's only one person searching them once they have an issue, 
uh, the most extreme case would be uh, people in the security realm. They want to index everything, <laughs> all of the data that they have, keep it for three years. And it's only one person who, if they have some kind of uh, security issue, needs to, to investigate the past and, and see what has possibly leaked and uh, like, did, did they actually suffer from, uh, from this security issue? And you're the expert here, but let me just um, plus one. That is such a common problem in large enterprises. It is a very common thing that you'll see massive amounts of logs and materials that you know, it's particularly cybers hanging on to in case they get one question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's it's the index is, at one point, the index is not even there to, to be able to, to search into the data. It's there so that someone can sleep at night. Because maybe at one point they will have to search in in in, in the search index and and it will really save their job on the company. So it's a very critical stuff, but very rare occurrence. Uh, back back to the problem. Uh, so in in this um, in this case, uh, your your cost uh, is very different than uh, if you were just uh, trying to run your e-commerce website. Um, usually your cost will be uh, mostly storage and indexing uh, just because you, you don't search that much. So you, now your, your challenge is how can I index, uh, index my data really fast? And in, indexing is, is, is very tricky just to, to implement. Uh, and it's, it's a complicated problem and you want to maximize the, the use of your uh, CPU when you do that. That's something that we are we are very good at. Uh, so to, to explain a little bit of the, the challenge, to increase uh, your indexing throughput given a single machine, what you will want to do is to use your CPU at all time at the maximum possible capacity. And it could be Lucene or it could be TV. Usually the way it works is you will do some kind of patching. So you, 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 you're not into your typical uh, SQL database where there is a write type log and, and, and then ev after every single transaction, uh, all of the data is made visible. What you do is that you, you accumulate data for, let's say, 30 seconds and uh, you produce an index artifact after 30 seconds. You upload that to, in our case, you upload that to, to S3 and then it's visible. And this batching unlocks a lot of the optimizations that you can do in, in indexing. But if you do that, you are kind of building. Uh, it's it's. I, I mean, I'm a uh, classical engineer at heart, but it feels like you are building some weird engine in the mechanical sense of the term. So you, it's like a cycle, right? You 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 ingest data in. You you crunch the data using your CPU, and then you write stuff to your disk, and and you start again. But if you in our case, we write stuff to the disk, we upload it to S3, we, what, do we, what else do we do? We discuss with the Metastore to, to, to tell the Metastore, okay, the data is available. And all, all of these steps, uh, they don't all use the CPU, right? They don't all use your I.O. Like every single step has, is, is consuming some specific resources of your system. And when you're writing to disk, you are wasting your CPU, which is staying idle. When you're uploading to Amazon S3, you are wasting your I.O. and you're wasting your CPU and so on. So you, what, what I'm, where I'm going is that you want something that is streamlining your process entirely. 
so you need to have a nice little pipeline where you are indexing one patch uh, and you are uploading the index split that is associated with uh, the previous patch and, and everything happens at the same time so that you are taking the best uh, out of your hardware. And that's something that, yeah, we, 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 we're pretty good at. I think that's um, such a great way to talk about it in terms of like a mechanical analogy because when you describe at a high level the way your architecture works, it reminds me of driving a standard vehicle where you have just enough gas and just turning the clutch at the very at the right moment. Um, that's the kind of uh, uh, like interconnectedness of your architectural components. When I read your documentation, that seems to be a huge part of how you're able to get a, a lot more speed and efficiency. Yes, yes, exactly. Maybe we could talk through your architecture a little bit too uh, when you're sure. ready. Um, because uh, I think that's just something people would love to understand about QuickWit. I certainly found it really, I wouldn't say I understand it, but I found it very interesting when I read about it on your site. Um, can you just sort of, we'll just do it, we'll just do it verbally, no pictures, but just left to, you know, sort of left to right or kind of going around your architectural components around indexing the meta store, the control plane. Can you just help us understand what happens? Yes, and I, I'm going to even try to do some good transition to, to come to that. Uh, so we were talking about the ch challenges and CPU usage. So I'm going to pick one challenges that that uh, brought us to this architecture. Uh, so on, on the indexing side, if you want to reduce cost, you want to use your CPU at maximum. So you, and, and every SRE or DevOps uh, listening to this knows that uh, it's it's a goal that is in opposition with the idea of reducing your search latency, because uh, if your CPU is at one hundred percent and one request comes, it it, it it has some kind of logic of queue tasks, and uh, you you are in into the statistics of uh, like queues, and if if it's working at capacity, the latency will be bad. And where I'm going with this is ideally to solve this problem, you would want uh, indexing and search to happen on different hardware, which leads me to the architecture. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we totally um, decoupled uh, indexing and, and search. So the way things work is uh, your data is coming from somewhere, we should probably discuss about that. Uh, but for the simpli simplification, I will say that you uh, have some uh, Kafka queue uh, that is containing uh, all of your data and you, you need to ingest maybe like, uh, I don't know, two, two gigabytes of data per second. Like a massive stream of logs, right? I've got yeah. a massive, I've got all the logs for the whole company because I'm in cyber and I'm just keeping all of this massive stream. Yes, and, and you need to index like this massive amount of data. Uh, so what you will do is that you will um, have a, a set of indexers. It can be any number of indexers. They, they will, uh, in the case of Kafka, they will consume that as a consumer group so that you get your uh, exactly one semantics uh, there. And uh, what they do is that they, they work on their own. They don't need any coordination. Kafka does the job of uh, rebalancing stuff and and they work on, on their side of things. And just when they finish one batch, they upload it to Amazon S3 and they will uh, so-called publish 
uh, their their uh, their speeds uh, by discussing to the meta store. So today our meta store is uh, our most solid implementation of the meta store is uh, just a PostgreSQL instance, and the load is much lighter on the meta store. Uh, so you, you, typically we have uh, 10 million documents per split. So you might be scared about like, uh, and it, it's not like we are indexing documents in uh, PostgreSQL. Every single line in PostgreSQL is, is uh, handling 10 million uh, lines of uh, of logs. So so you you have yeah. some nice leverage there. Those are big numbers. Those are big numbers. Yes, it it it's enough to to like one million rows. You reach the petabytes uh, index without any problem, and one million rows is nothing for something like PostgreSQL. And then you have a very separate world, uh, the world of searcher. Indexer do not talk with searcher at all. And the searcher are uh, stateless. That was an interesting part of our challenge. So uh, what every single searcher is uh, identical to other searcher. You don't have any idea of, you do not need to have a persistent hard disk or anything like this. Uh, you just start your nodes and they, they join the cluster and, and they are ready to, to work. Uh, mm -hmm. And when a search request uh, arrives, it can hit any searcher. The searcher will act as uh, the so-called root search. It will coordinate uh, the, the work that is needed to, to do the distributed query. And the first step that it will do, of course, is connect to the Metastore and it will uh, then dispatch uh, the work uh, amongst its its friends, and there is no there is no raft, no coordination per se. Uh, the searcher just have to know who uh, the other searcher nodes are, and we do that through gossip. Uh, so it, it's extremely light, and it's extremely easy to manage. Uh, there is no um, toolkeeper, for instance, involved in 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 this work. Um, so the uh, the notions of split and um, searcher, those two ideas, where did those come from? Is that novel to your offering, or is, do they come from a previous architecture or thought process? No, oh, I, I I I would definitely not call it novel. Uh, so the idea of uh, doing search with uh, by by writing files uh, that are. Uh, uh, write once, read many. It, it's actually at the core of Lucene uh, to begin with. I guess I meant the stateless quality of, of the searcher. Oh, yeah. The stateless quality, uh, I don't know anyone who is, who is able to do it. Uh, but uh, because it's, it's, it, there are a bunch of technical challenges behind that. So I, I, I can probably go through those. Um, so when when... All of this architecture, the way I just described it, it came very naturally. It was like like music. Oh, we have these challenges. How do we do this? Oh, of course, we want to separate searcher and indexer. And of course, it would be nice if you could have stateless searcher because uh, it means that you can scale very rapidly. Like you could have only one searcher and like add 10 searchers and, and then switch it down. And in terms of... Um, of uh, manageability also, it's, it's, it's a breeze because you, you you don't have this state, you don't have this trouble of, oh, shoot, my uh, node failed. 
and now I need to rebalance all of the data that it was hosting to those researchers. And so my search performance will be terrible. We don't care about that. Uh, all of the data is stored on an object storage, uh, usually Amazon S3, but we, we, a lot of people are using us on any other cloud. Uh, so yeah, it, it works on any object storage. And uh, yeah, so then, the, of course, that was the obvious goal. Like being able to pull it would be great, super low cost. Uh, just just to give you the, the figure, uh, maybe maybe you know that part, but storing one terabyte of data on Amazon S3, replicated, you don't care about anything. It only costs you $25 per terabyte. That's much cheaper than having it on, on, on your local SSDs and having to replicate yourself. Uh, so you, you don't have to pay this cost like multiply by three and and then and the higher. So it's, it's, it's really brilliant. Yeah, right. Because I don't know if everyone knows this who's listening, but for low latency, there's often at least three copies. Uh, yeah, and, and durability as well. You, you, it, you, you want to be able to not lose your data if, if one node crash, so you will have to copy it. Uh, and usually you have at least two copies and, and three if, if, you, if you actually like your data. Uh, yeah, so, so it, it can, it piles up, it becomes really expensive. And so, uh, okay, so that's what we wanted to do, but is that even possible? Um, so the trouble there is Amazon S3 is slow, extremely slow. But I think it's very important to have the figure in mind. So when you try, so you can actually read in the middle of a file uh, in Amazon S3. You don't have to read the entire file. You can ask for a round of bytes. Uh, asking for a round of bytes, so what the, the equivalent in a hard disk would be called a random seek. Uh, it has a latency of typically 70 milliseconds. So in search, uh, when you start a search engine, because we are talking about stateless node, right? So they, they, we assume that they don't know anything about the index when you start. Uh, start when you start a search engine, usually it will look at a bunch of footer and and read here and there on every single file in the index. It takes a huge amount of read to do and, and the footer will point to another part, part in the file. So you have some kind of chain of dependency of reads that makes it so that if you wanted to do that on, on Amazon S3, uh, for your searcher to be ready to search, it would take 30 seconds or something like that. So it's, it's absolutely impossible to, 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 to do, do it the, the usual way, like the, the trivial way. Uh, so we had to deal with this uh, problem of latency, and I, I will uh, talk about the other problem, and then I will explain about the solution. The other problem with Amazon S3 is uh, your throughput is bad as well. So the throughput um, is of about uh, maybe 70 megabytes per second, and that's also very bad. So of course, uh, we use uh, an inverted uh, index, and it's it's a very nice way uh, to, to reduce the amount of data that you have to read. It's extremely compact, uh, but still 70 megabytes per second to, to, to give an idea to people listening. Uh, it, it's so SSDs nowadays, they, they can offer several gigabytes per second of, uh, of throughput when you read. They're more expensive, but they are way, way faster. And in terms of latency, uh, it, it really varies, uh, but you, you, you can uh, go below the, the, the millisecond with an SSD. 
and and uh, a spinning disk like the, the ones that we used to have in our desktops, uh, the one that makes a lot of noise. <laughs> Uh, typically, they, they, they were considering already very slow at, at the time, and uh, the latency was 10 milliseconds, so se seven times uh, faster than uh, than, uh, than Amazon S3. So it's very challenging. We're trying to build a, a very that's yes, that's a great yeah. analogy. That's a and, good one. And the throughput is about the same. So we, we're trying to to make that work, and uh, it seems like a, a stupid challenge, um, but actually. Uh, we tackled it, so I, I, I can explain a little bit. Uh, so for the simple part, the throughput, uh, the throughput is 70 megabytes per second, but it's uh, possible to to run as many reads as you want at the same time. So what we do is that we just read from several speeds at the same time and we streamline all of the process. So when you search, it downloads data from many different places at once. And we do observe a throughput that can go uh, over the time of your query. From start to finish, in average, we can get a throughput uh, above one gigabyte per second. So, so we are we are able to to reach uh, the throughput that you would expect from a bad SSD, uh, which which is awesome. So you want to be able to search all this? Let me just kind of yep. review where we're at, though. I'm getting lost. Hold on. Um, so uh, so you want to be able to search very very quickly over something like S3, but it's a problem because the way S3 works. It's going to burn a lot of disk by going through this long indexing chain. Uh, it's going to have poor throughput. Something else I can't remember what you said, but there's another problem with it. So that, uh, that your premise was we're going to make search really fast on this thing that fundamentally yes. doesn't work quickly and is expensive at when you try and like really rev it up. Uh, and so the way you're addressing that is through these three kind of core principles of the indexer, the meta store, and um, the searchers. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, yes. And so uh, you can tell we have me a bundle of, wrong. a bunch of uh, obvious goals, and the obvious architecture was okay. We are gonna have all of our our data on S3, and we will have a stateless searcher, and everything will be great. Uh, but then we had to tackle one very difficult trouble, which is okay. Amazon S3 is slow. How do we deal with this? Uh, and and that's what where we are in the discussion right now. And so what does it mean being slow? Uh, latency is bad and throughput is bad. So throughput is bad. It's actually not exactly true. You just have to read from different parts at the same time. It's a very well-known uh, issue. And, and then your your throughput can be much, much better. You just need to reorganize the way you run your queries to be able to, to do the, the IO all at once and the CPU, you will, you won't do that all that all at once because it it would be terrible. You, you don't want to do that. Uh, the CPU doesn't like to to change from one thread to another. So we just do the, our scheduling in a much smarter uh, ways and uh, search engines that do not need to care about that. And then latency, yeah. I'd love. Uh, so latency, uh, it's another beast. So latency, 70 milliseconds is, uh, is only a problem if you do a lot of hops. So if you, if you, are, you have some kind of chain problem. So if, if for my query, I need to read in one side and then I need to go somewhere else and then I need to go somewhere else. 
uh, then it, you will have to pay 70 milliseconds multiplied by the number of hops that you have. So you need to rethink your search to, to reduce the number of hops uh, that you are doing. And we are able to do that in uh, four hops today. So our critical chain is four hops, which means that in a sense, uh, we will never be able to run a search query faster uh, than 300 milliseconds. So yeah, I'm, I'm rounding, but uh, this is, so it's it's a uh, it's a, a, an interesting property that we have. Uh, <laughs> we are very fast if you have a large amount of data. Like we we can do sub-second uh, search on on several terabytes of data. Uh, but if you have only one gigabyte, we are the slowest search engine out there. <laughs> I, yes, I, I think I heard you say, I was looking at some materials you had shared before, and that's right. I didn't understand that before. Thank you for explaining that. I, um, let me ask you a couple of quick questions, because you've talked a lot about, you touched on indexing and querying. I'd like to talk, ask you a few questions about that and kind of go into that a little bit more deeply. But uh, before I do, um, what haven't I asked you about the product that I should have at this point so that people understand the kinds of problems and challenges you're addressing? Uh, great question. I haven't missed anything. We can move on. We can come back to it. If you think of something I forgot, I don't want to over, I don't want to step over any, because you have done a nice job of laying out the challenges. We've talked a little bit about at a high level, some of the architecture, and I'd like to talk a little bit more around um, indexing because um, maybe you can explain um, a little bit more about your indexing process because it's, um, it has some comp uh, some complicated notions that I wasn't familiar with, such as printing, um, ah, what was the uh, so inverted indexes I was not familiar with. And I think in some of your materials talking about how that could drive a full text search faster. Um, can, you, can you help me understand a little bit about your approach to uh, indexing that's different from? Yes, uh, so pruning is uh, more something that happens at search time, but that, uh, is that something that I totally missed and, and thank you for reminding it. Uh, to me, so the idea is, is quite common. Uh, you see that a lot in columnar database. The idea is uh, your index is a union of uh, many small pieces, smaller pieces, uh, we call them splits, but everyone has a different name for this. Uh, and one product that everybody knows that does that really well uh, will be uh, Snowflake. And in, in their case, they call that micro partition, I think. The idea is uh, when a query comes in, usually you can extract uh, from the query some predicates that will help you reduce the number of uh, splits that you will search into. And typically, the, 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 one, the one obvious uh, property will be time. Uh, so naturally, as you are ingesting uh, your data, if it has a timestamp field, uh, we will store the minimum and the maximum timestamp associated to each uh, split in the Metastore. And if your query is saying, I'm searching into data uh, within this month, then we will be able to tell, okay, we only need to search into uh, this 100 splits or, and, and it considerably uh, improves the search performance. So that's what... Uh, okay. That's what uh, uh, pruning is about. Uh, we, we just add extra metadata on the indexing process to be able to do pruning on, on the search site. Okay. I didn't understand that terminology was so similar across Snowflake. I get that a little bit better. 
and then uh, inverted index for uh, supporting full text search. That's special to you, or no, no, no. It's uh... no. Okay. Okay. So uh, usually, most people when they talk about uh, search engine, they means inverted index. Uh, if you if you if if you like Google as an inverted index, it's the data structure that is driving the the search engine, and it's it's a very old and classical one, and it's the most efficient way to do search. But still, uh, that's an interesting debate uh, nowadays. All of the stuff that I explain about indexing and the cost of indexing and how hard it is to 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 do that uh, on on super large amount of data. It's such a big problem that there has been a trend uh, that started maybe, uh, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. Uh, of uh, At the time, it was called index-free search. So some people uh, just decided, okay, uh, the problem is too hard and we don't search that much anyway. So what we're going to do is we won't build an index and we will just grab. And... and and so that's an interesting way to do things. And the idea is uh, pruning will save the day. Uh, so, so the time pruning that I described will reduce the amount of data that we have to search into. So we can probably reduce a lot uh, the amount of data we need to prep into and then distribution will save the day. So we'll, we'll just have 200 uh, searcher and it, it, it will work out. Uh, and this is a trend that is actually uh, quite quite popular uh, these days. So Loki, for instance, is working like that. It doesn't have an index. Uh, and then uh, you might have seen that Uber, they decided to handle their logs using ClickHouse, which is a columnar database. That's basically what they do. So they use a, a columnar and uh, and and it, it totally makes sense. And it's, the... The whole reasoning there is is uh, both about engineering and economics. Like it's just like how what where is the cost? Uh, like how how is is it really worth indexing if you don't search that much? Basically, what 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 their reasoning is about. Right. Um, and and we're taking our, our uh, we we are basically the revenge of the search index. The inverted index. We are bringing back inverted index. We say we solved all of this problem. Look at us. Uh, we can search in large amount of data 40 times faster than what you would have gotten uh, with uh, ClickHouse, for instance. But in, interestingly, uh, so ClickHouse is the fastest solution to do that today. And interestingly, one of our customers has trouble with uh, searching data into ClickHouse. They, they do a lot of uh, Business analytics, so ClickHouse is absolutely brilliant at this. Uh, but search, it 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 it, it, it they, they do grapping and they simplified it uh, greatly to to be as fast as possible. It was too slow, uh, so it's actually possible to use today uh, QuickWit as a secondary index on ClickHouse. And so ClickHouse is enjoying. Oh, that's a great use case. I was just going to ask you about some use cases. That's a great one. So the, yeah, that's one use case, but I. Yeah, so, uh, so this, uh, this, this this use case is unfortunately not that much replicated. Most people are not interested in this use case, so I don't usually talk a lot about it. But uh, they're not. Why not? I feel like they should be. 
<laughs> I, I agree. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and so ClickHouse is enjoying like expensive SSDs, uh, and and we have just a very cheap, uh, a few very cheap instances, and our data is on S3, and still uh, plugging us uh, makes search 40 times faster. So, yeah, I mean, what, the message that I'm trying to put out there is. Yeah, inverted index, they, they work really well. That's, that's not big news. Yeah, it's, yeah. If you're looking to ch spend less money and get yeah. faster results, that might be your choice. Yeah. Um, do you think, like, just kind of, I do want to talk a little bit about um, use cases um, because I think it's, you know, we started out talking about logs and traces. Um, can you just share with us some? Um, just the business narrative of not, not telling us anything about your customers, obviously, that you don't want to share, but just to, at a high level, um, some business narrative about how um, QuickWit has kind of been used inside of a complex setup like you just described with yes. ClickHouse. Uh, so when we started, it, uh, for, for me and for Adrien, uh, so we are three co-founders. I, I should have talked about my other co-founders as well, but... I, I'm going to ask more about that later, but uh, yeah, that's good. So me and Adrien, it was our first startup. François has been working in different startups before, uh, so he had more experience about this. Uh, but uh, me and Adrien, we we had to understand a little bit more about product market fits, like finding uh, the, 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 the right product positioning, stuff like that. And the, usually the startup playbook is... Uh, you, you try to solve the problem and you discuss with your customers and you iterate and you find the right positioning for this. And 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 ideally, it should be like, a, at first you should tackle an, a niche problem, like a specific problem as much as possible. We are uh, basically trying to compete with Elastic, which is a product that does everything. <laughs> and, and so, uh, Unfortunately, every single people we discussed with seemed very different. There was no like emerging pattern of uh, of of oh we have thirty percent or seventy percent of the people that want to do exactly this uh, small use case. So yeah, we 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 ended up uh, chasing many rabbits at the same time, and it's. I think that's so interesting that you mentioned that we could do a whole separate show on that because I think that. Um, yeah, that's the typical pattern. Talk to your customers, understand their pain. But, you know, this is for iterations of known solutions. You could iterate, oh, we had this problem, we're going to make it a little better. When you're trying to do something really new, sometimes that doesn't it's work. Tough. Right? It doesn't, because you, something new and something large scale, sometimes it doesn't quite work to just ask people yeah, what I they want. I suspect that uh, the effect was coming from the fact that we were competing with Elastic. So if, if Elastic didn't exist, maybe right. it would have been much easier and much harder at, at the same time. So the existence of Elastic makes it so that uh, um, the existence of product market fit, it, it it's not even a question. Like <laughs> some other products exist. Too much noise in the system. There's too much noise in the system. You can't see, you can't see what the yeah, product market exactly. fit is when Elastic is on exactly. the horizon. Uh, but I've seen you on YouTube talk about um, Elastic and mm -hmm. Lucene, right? And that you are you're yeah. a fan. So why why would people move off Elastic? Why would they? Why would they change? What's what's different now? Oh, 
So the Elastic does a, a lot of things. Like they, 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 they will back up your your blog search engine and your e-commerce search engine with uh, 100 million products. And they will also back up your logs and they will do your BI. And so we'll do... Like that. And, and, Swiss Army uh, knife. Yeah, exactly. Swiss Army knife, right? Uh, and so I guess that's the main reason uh, we started QuickWit is that we spotted that the architecture is good, but it's not good for open-only data. It's actually extremely bad for open-only data. But so one very simple uh, case uh, where what they do is very bad uh, is they do uh, so-called uh, document replication. So the way they replicate their data is that the ingested data is, is sent to uh, different servers and the work of indexing the data is done on every single replica. So just straight right there, they are doing uh, two or three times more jobs than is necessary. And, and that, that's a lot of, this is that's a huge problem. Uh, so that would be an example, but there are many other examples. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we just like did some corner of the table uh, computation and and we saw that it was possible to do something that was 10 times cheaper uh, and, and, and faster for our incremental data. Uh, and, and so we went for that. Is that. So for you, like an append-only like log of transactions, let's say that I mean, cyber might be keeping, that makes sense. Um, is, is one of your use cases be like an append-only for like a, a ledger type situation or yeah, you, you, it's, 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 yeah, exactly. Uh, so we usually say we are a log search engine because people don't really think of all of the use case. They don't understand what append only means. Uh, so we we sometimes just say logs, but yeah, a ledger um, oh. discussions as well. So append only, let's yeah. just go back for that though, because most people, I'm sure it's a very sophisticated audience here, but append only is... We, we like the append only because uh, these, it gives you great consistency and you have these immutable objects. Like this thing happened and then this thing happened and then that yes. thing happened and you can always look back and see it. it, it that's the, what I think of when I think of append only. What else should I uh, know? You, yeah, it's, it's, it's right. At, at the core, the idea is uh, you, you don't have much uh, problem with consistency. You don't have things like you don't have trouble ruling what should happen if you have uh, two transactions happening on different nodes, what should be the eventual outcome. It's easy. It's like, oh, you have the two documents. Uh, if you start doing delete, then there is like, oh, did when did the delete happen before or after you added the document? You, you, you have trouble like this. Probably more familiar than the log situation because I, of my, I work in like yeah. finance, right? Because if you have ledgers being written, say, at multinational <laughs> banks writing ledgers all over the, you know, into one account from all over the world. Let's say you're you're in Paris buying something, and I'm your sister, and I'm buying something on the same credit card. Yeah. In, you know, Detroit. Which one writes first? Do we have enough money in the account? Um, it actually gets tricky really fast, even though you would think it's just in it one thing being written at a time that gets extremely tricky and, and very yes. hard to and, and then there is a problem that I described before, which was uh, like, you need to write in many places. Uh, but yes. uh, yeah, the deletes are tricky. So uh, we, we didn't talk about TonCV, but TonCV handles deletes. And it was 
it was such a headache to, to get it right. <laughs> it was so hard to have multi-threaded indexing and still be able to delete and, and do have and keep this uh, this idea that uh, if a delete happens before or after uh, you added the document, it should affect or not affect the presence of the document in the index yet. This deleting notion is really, uh, I don't know, I, it's kind of like home dentistry. I, we never used to do it, right? <laughs> we, we never used to have this notion of deleting until we had all this discussion around you know, GDPR and kind of permanently removing, uh, you know, it's permanently removing anything from the data is always so, so tricky to do by itself. And then the downstream applications can be many. Yeah, so for, for people who, who are scared of using QuickWit uh, because of the lack of delete, the two things we handle is obvious, uh, obviously uh, retention. So if you you can set up, oh, I like to keep my data for uh, one month, two months, uh, three months, or whatever you want, and the system will automatically delete your data when the, it moves out of retention. And we do handle uh, like large requests, like GDPR request or uh, churn, because we, we, we have also interesting property for people who are doing multi-tenant uh, search. And, and we are quite interesting for people who are running a SaaS or stuff like that. They need to address the problem of, oh, my customer left. Can I remove all of the data associated to this customer? We handle that as well. And is that around like GDPR requirements for the most part? Or why else will we be deleting? Yeah. So yeah, GDPR is, is one thing, and then we have this churn thing, which is another one. The churn is just, okay, they left, it, they probably want us not to keep their data, <laughs> and also it costs us to keep it. Uh, they had a retention maybe set to three years. Uh, we don't want to keep that around. Oh, just regular yeah. retention rules. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the company and your founding of the company because um, this is your first startup or no? Yes, it's my it's my first startup. Uh, all of my career, I've been working in different companies uh, building search engine, but yeah, first startup. So yeah, I was, um, tell me a little bit about your background uh, before you founded Quickwit. Um, like you have been very focused on search your whole career. What is it about uh, search? Yes, it, it it kind of happened uh, randomly. <laughs> so uh, I I uh, I I put my first foot in uh, into search uh, uh, when I was uh, young. I, I got a job at this company called Exalid. I, I probably don't know it, but it's it's a very interesting company. It was a French search engine company. Um, but uh, enterprise search used to be used to be a very hot uh, subject in, in in the startup and VC world, and uh, most of the startups were actually located in uh, in in Europe. A, a lot of them were in uh, England, Norway, and France. A lot of them. Is, a lot of them still exist. Um, and one of them was uh, Exalid, uh, and they were building a. The search engines that scaled uh, very interestingly. Uh, so they they had a web search engine just just to display, like to showcase the fact that they could scale to 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 web scale, <laughs> actual web scale, not joke web scale. Uh, and it was a lot of fun, like a lot of great engineers 
the company got acquired by uh, Dassault System, and a lot of the great engineer left, um, and and spawned many uh, startups. Uh, one of them, uh, so for instance, you you might know Algolia. Uh, so Algolia was spawned by uh, two engineers uh, at at uh, at Exalid. Uh, Dataiku as well. I worked a little bit at, at Dataiku before leaving for Japan. Uh, also a, a very, very strong unicorn. Uh, so yeah, so they, they, a, a lot of startups got spawned uh, out of uh, out of Exalit. Uh, so I worked at Dataiku uh, after that for, for a little bit. And my wife is Japanese and she, she, she didn't like living in France. <laughs> So uh, she she wanted to come back to Japan. So I I, I kept on here on uh, uh, here on uh, what kind of job uh, opportunity would be in Japan. Uh, and and uh, I a recruiter from uh, from Indeed Japan uh, contacted me. What, what what's funny is that he didn't know that I I spoke Japanese. He didn't know that I studied in Japan. This was a pure coincidence. He was just looking for search engineers. I was like, "Yeah, I might be interested, actually." And so I, I went and uh, and worked in Atindi Japan, and then I moved to Google Japan in the search team uh, in both case. That's that that's meant to be. That's like yes. uh, fate. <laughs> yes, and and so uh, while I was at Indeed, I started this project called TanTV. Uh, it, it's an open source library that is. Uh, Nowadays, quite popular and especially uh, amongst uh, search engineers. So maybe, maybe not everyone knows about it. I I wish I started there. I wish I started there. It is incredibly popular, and um, I've seen you present about it a couple of times in recordings. Um, how did you? I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment just to so many people like using it. But did you? I thought I heard you say you started it because it was a bit of an experiment. Yeah, I for wanted. You. I wanted to learn. About Rust, so everything at Quickwit is developed in Rust, and I just wanted to learn the language. And you know, I don't like Hello World tutorial because usually they they will like you you will build some love for a language uh, without testing the stuff that actually matters. Like you will you will be like, oh, this Fibonacci implementation is it looks great, but actually, what I'm interested in a language is can I build actual real life stuff? Like is is a uh, IO story good is error handling uh, good? Uh, can I do multi-threading in a safe way? Uh, that kind of question. It, it's what I really want to test. Uh, so and and at the same time, I was a machine users user, and I wanted to check that I really understand understood all of the internals of machine because it's extremely important to know how. It works to actually get the best performance out of it, and so I thought, okay, I'm gonna implement search engine library, and and we'll see how it works. Uh, and and after uh, I don't know, maybe a, a few months, I had something that was working. It was able to index Wikipedia. Took it took thirty minutes, so it was not great. It was working, and it was uh, it it was nice. It was it it was already quite nice, and. Interestingly, I never restarted from scratch. Like it's my first project, and I never went. Okay, let's let's throw away the code and restart. Now that I know Rust, and Rust is 
supposed to be a very hard language, but uh, it's very good. It's it's possible to to refactor it really nicely, and uh, yeah, it, it ended up going out. We should do a different. Show. I want to do a show on Rust. I want to do a show on Rust. I forget who I was talking to about that because if you re everything in QuickWit is Rust, right? Everything in QuickWit is Rust. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I think this language is uh is brilliant. Uh, I I suspect that my opinion on it is. Is not necessarily uh, a big consensus, but so for instance, uh, a lot of people are saying that. I don't think it's controversial. I think all the all the cool kids are using all the cool guys, all the cool software developers love Rust. No, but so, like for instance, uh, a lot of people say that Rust uh, cannot be used in many places because the learning curve is too hard. And I I think I I I, I keep. Telling people that I was more proficient in Rust than in C++ after two weeks. So uh, two, two weeks of doing Rust. Why do you think that is? I, I was I was more efficient, more productive in in C++. Maybe more productive than in Java. Uh, so the learning curve is not that bad. Uh, it, but people just think that I'm lying when I say that or boasting. So I I need to to explain another thing. I've never been able to learn uh, Golang. It's too hard for me, and it's supposed to be a very simple language, but I I, I don't get it. It do just doesn't fit. So one one uh, maybe a few reasons why I picked up uh, I picked up uh, Rust uh, rapidly is because I knew C plus plus beforehand. It's kind of cheating. A friend of mine uh, with a bit of a genius at learning languages. Uh, he, he studied in Japan uh, at the same time as me. So I studied at, at the University of Tokyo. And he always had the worst possible advice uh, to learn Japanese. So for instance, he, he was like, okay, if you, if you pick a class, uh, just always try to put one or two levels above your current level. So if you are a beginner, just go for intermediate or, or expert. Because anyway, after one month, you will be the best kid in the class. It's like, that's not an advice. <laughs> it only works for you. It makes no like, sense. That's like a prescription. It's a prescription for heartache. It's just feeling yeah, exactly. bad about and, yourself. And then the second advice that he had was, uh, oh, uh, Japanese is, is relatively easy. So the, the trick is you, you, you learn Chinese first. It's like... So I, I cannot like tell people oh, the trick to learn Rust is to know C++ first, of course, uh, because C++ is extremely that's right. hard. That's, that's a tough, that's a high bar. Uh, but a high bar. I can advise uh, people who are used to C++ to, to, to try Rust. Uh, they will see that it's not as hard as what they think. It's much, much simpler than learning C++ by, by the very, very high margin. That's a great, that's a great, uh, that's, I, I like that piece of advice for people who have been using C++. And I also like the advice of uh, creating a, a project that really helps you understand the yes. inner workings of the entire system rather than doing a hello world type of tutorial, which um, doesn't teach you as much and, and can be sort exactly. of tedious. And so that's, that's and, good advice. Uh, so I, I was mostly working in Java at that time. And... Java, uh, I, I, people are surprised when I say that. I like Java. I think it's a, it's a good language. Uh, it, it scales nicely. So if you have a huge team, the compiler is fast. Uh, the tooling is good. 
you you it it it's okay but uh but rust is is it, it gives you this uh feeling of safe, safety that is even higher than java so for instance you don't have uh any null pointer exception you don't mm -hmm. have uh trouble writing multi-threaded code and Java is, is supposedly is uh, it's much better than C++ in that regard, but it's really hard actually. And I've seen so many people writing multi-threaded code in Java that was incorrect, and and I don't know how they sleep sleep at night. But... It's good. It's easy. It's very easy to write a lot of very mediocre code. Yes, in Java exactly. That's not efficient. Uh, and I I was supposedly a seasoned software engineer. But I was scared every single time I wrote multi-threaded code because every single time I did, I had a bug. And I wouldn't discover it right away. It would take time. Like the so semantics uh, behind a keyword like final, it's, it's, it's very complicated. Like it's, it's, it's really tricky. Uh, so yeah, Rust removes all of this. Uh, you can write your code, put it in a box, in a small module, and... You you get this uh, feeling of safety. You know that we won't have you won't have to reopen that box anytime soon. So you can focus on architecturing your code the right way. And then the big big thing that I loved was performance, of course. So it's not just that the language is uh, producing better byte code. It's also that um, it's very easy for me to look at the assembly code generated by uh, the most important function in, in Tontv. Uh, and so I do that a lot. Like I, I use Godbolt a lot, a lot. And uh, I can always uh, like tangle my code a little bit and make sure that the assembly code produced is what I want. In Java, you will never be able to do that. It's very hard to just know what assembly is produced. The JIT will get in the way, and you you don't have that much uh, knobs to to turn to actually get it to produce uh, what you want. Uh, so yeah, that that was very important for performances. Well, here's what I've learned about you: you really like to know how things work, right down to the assembly language. Yes, absolutely. And um, you may have had a different life as a race car driver because you have a great love of speed. You know. <laughs> You, know, you, you said you you knew Algolia, right? So the CTO of uh, yes of Algolia, Julien Lemoyne, is now in uh, in in race uh, driving uh, racing cars. <laughs> he goes into oh my gosh! <laughs> that's, oh my that's gosh! So funny that you said that. See, I knew it. I knew it. Um, well, it's been really great to have a, a chance to pull up with you. Let me ask you one. Uh, question before we uh though what is coming up next for quickwit i know you have had some releases just recently can you kind of help us understand where you're going uh yes so uh we just uh released uh, quickwit 0.6 uh it, it completes um a lot of the missing features for users who wants to to use quickwit as an open source project to index their uh, logs and traces uh, very, the, the most okay. important part was uh, support for uh, Grafana. So we now have a Grafana plugin. So you have an actual URI to look, to look at your logs. And it's it's both parts. It's like the explorer, look at your logs and, and drill down and do stuff like that. 
and also the dashboarding part uh, because we we do handle uh, aggregation and stuff like that so you can also build graph out of it and and populate your your graph and a dashboard uh, using quickwits um those are some yeah. big features. Those are some big features I know enterprise yes. will love. And then uh, one huge feature that we had is that we added uh, an Elasticsearch compatible API. It was requested by uh, one of our customers. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it, it should be help a lot of users who want to, to migrate from Elastic to Quickwits. Let me, I, I know I said I was going to let you go, but now I have more questions. But uh, how's business going? How is the business going? And how do companies typically start working with you? In a small project or big effort? Like, what is the pattern? Uh, yes. So right now we have signed two customers. Uh, so it, it's it's uh, it's slowly going. Uh, and early. Early, early days, days, yes. Uh, so one of them is quite big. Uh, I cannot give too much detail, but it's uh, it's it's a big it's oh, no, a big no, contract yeah. and a, a super large amount of data. It's challenging. So right now our main objective is uh, to 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 finish this project and, uh, and and put everything in production. That's our main objective. Uh, I was just curious because that of what you said about how you know the bigger the data, the more yeah. uh, effective your architecture is. Uh, however, people with a ton of data have a hard time saying, yes, let's start this huge data yeah, project. I, I, so, and and um, once we we have them in production, uh, we will be able to answer everyone that, value. that comes with one petabyte of data and is to abuse that we can do it. Uh, we can tell them, yeah, we're in production uh, and, and, and with one petabyte of data and, and, and it works well. And this, the cost savings alone probably is the yes. turning point, right? Uh, so yes, that's, that's our main objective uh, at the moment. Uh, so usually uh, people come to us, we, we don't have any sales. Uh, people come to us listening to you, to your podcast, for instance. <laughs> and of course, of course, that's going to be the main channel now. I think that's going to be the big channel for you, this podcast. Yeah, so we we have a, a small pipeline of uh, of of people with very interesting use case like design partners and potential customers and then what the what the the pattern i was describing is that they'll they'll do a test with a couple petabytes of data working with you see the outcome and then identify larger use cases or potential contract uh, yes the usually the, the test is with a few terabytes not not petabytes but yes we we had some oh sorry i misspoke <laughs> Yeah, that would be hard and, to support. Sorry. <laughs> and then uh, sometimes we see. So the, we, we obviously we also have people using us with uh, in in the open source world. Uh, it's, it's a little bit difficult to track this oh. information. So we have telemetry, but it's possible to disable it. It's opt-in. Uh, but sometimes we we Maybe. spot like <laughs> gigantic users. Uh, like in insane amount of data, um, people indexing two hundred terabytes a day, <laughs> and uh, and they never told to us, like <laughs> never hear for them, and uh, and they just disappear. <laughs> so it's a bit sad, but uh, but yeah, we 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 have a little bit of open source traction. I hope that that it goes well, especially okay. tracing these days. 
Well, you know, in the data space, we spend so much time on this, like explosions of data, right? The data is just exploding. Uh, is it, I, even though I've been working in data for so long, sometimes it's almost intellectually hard to grasp yes. how much there is. And it's just growing. And so I think a solution like yours is nothing, you know, it's uh, the, the fundamental economics, right? You've just got so much more append-only data. Why? <laughs> Building out there an enterprise alone. I don't even know about medical or you know, government use cases, but I know finance and it's massive. Uh, so I can only see a great trajectory and, and more appetite for replacing, you know, elastic with something that specifically focuses on this, this short problem. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will come with ever growing. I'm only telling you what you already data. know, just to say that it's really, there's still more, there's still more coming, not just dealing with what we have today. There's still so much. Because I was going to get, I was going to say like, okay, there's Japanese and Rust and C++, you know, that's enough things already for you to know. Somebody else does the music in the household. That's good. Well, thank you very much. And um, look forward to maybe having you come back in a few months and let us know how it's going. Oh, I'd love to. If you, if you do an episode about Rust or, yeah, I'd love to. Yes. Would you help me with my, my dream of doing a show about Rust, even though I'm not a Rust developer? I feel like I can pull it off. Uh, yes, of, of course. It will be awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Justin.